welcome to the Voice of Aged Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Badgick-Smith, and in over a decade, I have helped to improve mental well-being of hundreds of older Australians. This podcast offers an authentic insight into well-being in late life, practical tips for those who support our elders, and all the inspiration to keep you going. I truly believe that every older person has a number of strengths that can be uncovered and promoted to help the older person achieve better mental well-being despite the changes in their health status. Today, I wanted to talk to you about mental health champions and the lessons that I've learned um, in my journey over the last 10 years or so of, of running training workshops and education in, in the context of aged and home care settings. I recently went to an event here in Sydney and um, I, I was listening to, listening to a presenter um, talk about he was a psychiatrist and really renowned psychiatrist and he was saying about you know it's not it's not about the tools it, it is about who will take us through them and I think that that's so uh, it really stuck with me because you know I realized that it's it really is not about what resource we have to use with our clients to get the best information that's going to help in terms of their engagement, in terms of their quality of experience, um, in terms of their um, willingness to take part in the service. It is not about the tools. There's tools. There's so many tools and resources out there. It is about who will use it and how they're going to use the tools. And even more so, what are they doing with that information that is being shared between the client and um, yourselves, like, wh- wh- what do you do with that? Do you just say thank you? Yep, you know, if you perhaps um, have downloaded um, my tool, the the five facts about me from my website, um, you know, you might just go, okay, yep, I've done that. What do I actually do now um, in terms of using that tool and 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 finding that information? you know, in, in, in my day-to-day interactions with clients. So if you haven't already downloaded, go to wisecare.com.au for, uh, forward slash number five, facts, F-A-C-T-S, wisecare.com.au forward slash five facts, number five, F-A-C-T-S. And so that, that, down, that resource has been downloaded by hundreds of people and I know – you know, talking to many of you that you have used it. And this resource I refer to in, in the workshops that I run as well, because it's really important if we can get those five facts about the older person that are important and relevant to them. But then it's like, well, what do you do with that? What do you do with that piece of paper once you complete it? Do you just take it with you and say, thanks, Nancy, see you later? Or do you pop it on their file? Or what is the process that actually happens with that information? And I guess that's that's really that difference between someone working collaboratively involving others involving other person the older person in the process and helping them achieve those goals so if you do one of my workshops we 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 start off with the five facts sheet and then we'll go into looking at social goals and then we'll look at um, developing short-term long-term goals for the older person regardless of their health status regardless of their well-being 
there are goals. Um, you know, what's the saying? You're never too old to dream another dream and achieve another goal. And the same goes for older person. You, they're, not, they're not too old to achieve goals. So I use tools in my practice to help achieve goals for the clients, help them realize what their goals are. I've got a client who's been in bed now for nine months, moved into state, um, was really not doing well when he lived on his own, you know, relationship breakdown, um, his family moved him to be closer to where they are. And and he's hated that change. He's absolutely been so upset about the fact that he's been moved for interstate, a term that he says, you know, he was kidnapped. But a lot of that initial adjustment into being in residential aged care, um, he had all those emotions of anger, frustration. Um, he refused to see his family. But now we're working towards what his goal is, and that is to, to be walking again. So I don't talk to him just about the benefits of him walking and about the goal, goal of him walking, but actually what can I do and who else do I need to involve in this process to achieve that goal for him? It's no good just sitting and having a chat with a psychologist about an hour, for an hour about just achieving that goal. It, we need to involve people in the process. And when I think about and talk about tools – it's all part of the process of how do we take the person from A to B? How do we help them get what they want in their life? How do we help them achieve those goals? And the people who are involved in it and people who have, you know, been there from day dot is the mental health champions. So who are these champions? It's not necessarily someone who's got a degree in mental health. It is not someone um, who is employed in the role of a lifestyle or in a role of a, a nurse or allied health professional. It could be anyone who's dedicated and committed to improving mental health outcomes for older people. So in my experience, it could be uh, a carer, it could be a nurse, it could be a lifestyle personnel. But it's not by default that it's always that person. It's also, you know, it could be a chaplain. It could be a physiotherapist. Um, I have run workshops for range of health professionals who have taken on board that role in terms of promoting older person's well-being and their mental health. So we all need mental health. We all uh, can be at risk of compromised mental health and developmental illness. So important to talk and differentiate between that mental health and mental illness as well. The people who are champions are the ones who use the information to improve their engagement with the older person, to improve their rapport building, and to improve the experience for the older person by using those quick and easy tips in their, in their discussions. So I think that... You know, this is this is a moment where we just think like, oh, well, how do I, you know, how do I become a health champion? What do I have to do to become a, a mental health champion? And it, it, it is about that commitment to ongoing learning, ongoing training, ongoing participation, ongoing involvement with the older person to connect them to the supports they might need. I know that in one of my early episodes, I spoke about, you know, the better mental health outcomes are not just by popping a pill and, and making you feel better sitting in, 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 in four white walls. It is about also engaging and making those changes in behaviors and the lifestyle factors as well. And so when you think about those lifestyle factors, and if you think, well, in my role, are you able to enhance those lifestyle factors for the older person? There's your answer in terms of, 
are you suitable to be a mental health champion? So that could be, you know, a family member, a, a relative, it could be allied health professional, you could be a carer, you could be a lifestyle personnel. This is why I say you can be any one of those um, occupations or roles or identities. Because if you can help the older person improve their lifestyle factors, improve their routine, improve their um, sleep routine or improve their diet or improve their social connection with one another, you are doing what what a champion would do to enhance their experience and their well-being. In the beginning, the older person might need a little bit more help, a little bit more support, but as time goes on, there might be um, initiating those conversations and those activities themselves. You know, I might pop in and go and see Moira or I might pop in and go and see um, Mary and they might do it themselves as opposed to saying, okay, I'd like you to meet someone new and I'd like you to, um, you know, spend a bit of time talking to this new person that you don't know. So we just need to think about from the older person's perspective as well and just go, okay, so what are they, what they, they want me to talk to a complete stranger? I'm already feeling really vulnerable about myself, about my health, about the environment. Um, I don't feel like talking to anyone. And the big common issue that comes up when we try and get people initially to mix is, you know, they, they can be, you know, different health um, issues they might have, different level of support needs, different level of functioning, and people can have, have clashes regardless of, you know, their age. Um, young children, I know with my kids as well, my, my daughter's got a, a girl in her, um, in her preschool class and she's like, I don't like this girl because she always takes the purple pencil. And I, I've seen that in aged care as well. It's like, I don't want to sit there because this person always sits there and she always takes that book. So those clashes will happen. Um, but I think it's better for them to uh, have opportunities where they can problem solve and overcome those difficulties as opposed to complete isolation, not wanting to take part in um, in any activity. And I know with my um, facilitators who run the wellness adventure in their organization, there's been a few times the issue of conflict between personalities and how that has been managed and how that has um, been overcome as well. So problem solving allows us to use different parts of our brain to use executive functioning and to enable us to look at ways of how we can overcome whatever that difficulty may be. And I've certainly seen in um, in the groups that I've been running as well, people who you know initially didn't like each other actually become friends after that and, and socialize outside the context of, of the group settings as well. This episode is proudly brought to you by the Enhancing Emotional Wellbeing in Late Life Workshop. This essential training is for anyone supporting older adults seeking practical strategies to reduce isolation and loneliness and help older adults make new and exciting as well as fulfilling moments. Find out more today from wisecare.com.au. So from my, um, from my end, in, in terms of my experience of working with mental health champions, I've learned that you know some people might just do one of my um, two-hour workshops, the, the grief and loss in, in late life. And that might be all they need to do in terms of recognizing what's all going on for the older person and when they need to know, escalate those concerns and when they need to look at ways to support them um, and having the skills to support them without external support. Whereas some others might do the six-hour workshop on enhancing emotional well-being in late life because they've downloaded the five facts about me and they've used that worksheet quite easily with their clients but it's like okay 
I want to learn a little bit more in terms of how I can enhance well-being of elders in my care. And that being a six-hour CPD activity also ticks lots of boxes in terms of your, your own continuing professional development needs. I've also done the refresher course for that as well in terms of, well, how do we support elders during the pandemic and how do we support them in light of natural disasters? I know that some organizations have been um, flooded and they've had um, issues with um, – with well, not just floods, but also um, with with heat, with um, with water penetrating, with all sorts of things going on that has affected um, access to uh, their organisations, their workplaces, their sites. I was talking to someone recently, and they said they were just sitting in a room, and they just saw that you know, the water levels just rise around them. And I know that some of the nursing homes as well have been completely cut off because of the floods as well. So looking at how do we support residents, we can't expect them all to be happy, you know, chirpy and excited about life if if there's so much happening around them, Um, not just nationally but also globally with the war, with, with the changes that are happening internationally, with... All the negative impacts that have happened with war and trauma and and how they've been triggering for, for people as well. So it is not about being unrealistic and thinking, well, I want to, you know, make them happy and, 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 and excited about life. It's just about how can we improve their social connections and how can we minimize the risk of the older person becoming disengaged and disinterested in, 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 in activities altogether. And the chances and the risks are real and high and probable that the older person will experience emotional changes because they are they, they present as being at a, at, at a higher risk than others because they are experiencing health changes, because they're experiencing perhaps changes in the environment, because they're experiencing changes in their support network, they're experiencing changes in their in their um, day-to-day functioning and changes in their ability to live independently. So I think that they are at big risk of experiencing changes and it is through those mental health champions who will help them overcome those early warning signs and, and, and enable them to look at what they can still enjoy in their life. So it could be through little activities they might do in terms of mindfulness, or it could be, you know, with activity about social connection or in terms of um, being able to connect with others or connect with nature. I, I've certainly met a lot of people, you know, in my my experience as a psychologist who are not social butterflies, who don't like to be in big groups of people, and they've always been like that. And that is fine, but we can still find meaningful ways for them, them to be engaged and entertained and not to be lonely and not to normalize that loneliness to think, oh, God, you know, they've they always been like that and there's nothing we can do about it. An older person doesn't necessarily need to have have 20 friends they might have two meaningful relationships and they might not feel lonely and they might feel completely socially engaged and being able to take part in whatever activities there are perhaps they relate better to animals than people and so you know in those instances I've looked at ways how I can can connect those clients more so with animals so if they live in their own home they've been going out the back and feeding the birds or if they live in residential care they've been feeding cats and you know saving some of their meal and scraps to feed feed the animals and and looking at ways just how they can move and and use their bodies and use their muscles and use their mind and use their memory 
as opposed to, you know, it's all do- doom and gloom and we can't do anything. Because we know the the better the person feels, the more they are likely to engage in self-care, making sure they eat well, making sure they look after their physical health, making sure that they comply with the requirements for their health conditions and that they take steps with exercise as well. And it is that role through the mental health champions who help them and promote those tasks as well. So you might not have a promotion or a badge that says that you are a mental health champion, but you might be doing that role anyway. And what you're doing in terms of your engagement with your clients day to day, that you have the skills that you have the attributes, that you have the learnings and that you are willing to collaborate with others to improve those those outcomes for the older person. What hasn't worked is people who, you know, constantly say that they have no time, they have no capacity, that they're constantly tired, they can't possibly do anything more, they can't, you know, they already have too much on their plate. Um, and I think that, you know, often, yes, it's common to experience burnout and stress working um, in, in aged care, many, working in many occupations and positions, you might experience those symptoms. But if you already are communicating with your clients and why the community about, you know, how you're not well at the moment, you might think about the the type of engagement and interactions that you are having with your clients. And, and working with elders is one of those professions that requires you to be both physically and psychologically present. It's not a job where you can hide away in the office and not talk to anyone. And so if, if you think about, you know, our communication being 7% what we say, 93% being about how we say things, if you are communicating your your, your fatigue, your, um, you know, that you're in a rush, it might, in fact, agitate the clients and might make them feel more anxious. And it can, you know, you might not have no intentions of actually doing it, but it might make them feel like something's not okay. They might be feeling stressed because they're worried about you as well. So it's really important about how you present yourself and how you are taking care of your own self and then promoting the well-being of your clients. And what I do in in, in, in my training course, like I, I recognize that Regardless if you do the two or six hour workshop, there's a module in each one of them about your own resilience, your own well-being, your own self-care, because in order to do a job well, you need to take care of yourself as well. And I know that it's easier said than done. And I and I hope and I thrive to lead by example um, and in terms of my own health and well-being as well. And, you know, even if it's raining and if it's um, overcast, I'll, I'll go in the morning, um, you know, before 6 a.m. and go and do uh, my outdoor boot camp and I'll, I will switch off all my phones and not check emails at night and read books rather than, you know, be on on social media. So I try and lead by example as well, because I know just how important it is in terms of how I present in, in my role and what I'm doing as well. And of course, we all have days when we are feeling more stressed and when we're feeling more tired. But I think that when you think about your role and your capacity to, to promote mental health in your clients, that really it is a holistic approach of how you support your clients holistically with other health professionals, but also how you lead by example as well in terms of what you do. So mental health champions are those who engage, who work collaboratively, who might have not just the the, the learnings and trainings in terms of how to recognize and support people um, in late life and how to um, enhance their emotional well-being, but it's also their own attributes and their skills and their own traits that help them do the job well. So you don't need a badge 
where to tell you or tell others that you are a mental health champion, um, but it, it is the approach that you use in your day-to-day engagement and um, promotion of well-being yeah, of our precious elders. That's it for today. You take care. Well, that is another episode of The Voice of Aged Care done and dusted. Make sure you don't miss out when I release the next episode by becoming a subscriber on over on your podcast app of choice. And if you can, please leave a review too. I'd love to know what you're thinking of this podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. Now, the next thing you need to do is head straight to wisecare.com.au and check out my top downloaded resource five facts about me, which can drive better engagement with the elderly client regardless of your role in their lives. I'll see you at the next episode.